Would you please turn to Luke chapter 12? Luke chapter 12. Give you a moment to get there. One of the things about getting into the Word is, um, you know, sometimes we start at a particular verse when in reality we could probably start two or three chapters before the particular verse. But here in Luke chapter 12, take a look, beginning in uh, verse 49, what Jesus is saying. I am come to send fire on the earth, and what will I if it be already kindled? But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how am I straightened till it be accomplished? Suppose ye that I am come (coughs) to give peace on earth? I tell you nay, but rather division. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two, two against three. The father shall be (coughs) divided against the son, and the son against the father, the mother against the daughter, and the daughter against the mother, and the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. In other words, this division is not just going to be outside the home, it's going to be so intense it's actually going to reach into the home itself. And he, and he said also to the people, when you see a cloud rise out of the west, straightway you say, there cometh a shower, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, there will be heat, and it cometh to pass. You hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth. But how is it that you do not discern this time? Let's take a a look at all of this relative to what's happening now in the world. You know, Jesus said, Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on the earth, I tell you nay, but rather division. Now there is a religious organization out there. Um, Occasionally they go door to door, knocking on your door and and want to talk to you about Jesus, about God, about church, want to give you a magazine. And one of the things that they teach is that um, Christians are going to take over the world and create this religious utopia and make everything great for Jesus to come back and we'll be handing over to him this, what they call, perfection. Well, it's interesting because Jesus says he didn't come to give peace, but division. That flies in the face of not just what I mentioned a moment ago about that one particular religious group, but also in the body of Christ. This whole thing of, well, can't we just agree to disagree? Well, that's going to happen whether we agree to disagree or not. We're going to disagree whether we agree to it or not. That's just the way it is. And if you want to believe something that cannot be supported with Scripture, man, that's on you. He said, I didn't come to give peace. I came to bring division. You say, what? And then he goes on and he says, look, even in your own house, there's going to be division. Well, we can talk about, you know, everybody who's living under the same roof. But symbolically, you're talking in the house, the church house as well. Let me just say this. 
out of all the people who currently attend this church in person, would it surprise you if there are people here who take issue with some things that I've taught? And you say, well, I don't know, maybe you're one of those people. I don't go around asking. But I will say this. If you're not in the Word, a lot's going to come forth from you to reveal where you stand and where you're walking. And he says, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring division. Okay, why? What is this? I thought when Jesus was born, the angels showed up peace on earth. Goodwill to men. Well, they did. The peace on earth was not peace among humanity. It was Jesus. Jesus was the peace on earth. And through Him we have peace with God. That's what that was talking about. It had nothing to do with, well, you know, everybody in the world is going to get along. No, they're not. Have you read the book of Revelation? Come on. This whole division that he's talking about, well, okay, if you look in verse 49, I'm come to send fire on the earth, and what if it's already been kindled? Well, that's kind of a rhetorical question, because it had been kindled. Remember, first off, remember what John the Baptist said, there's one coming after me, I'm not worthy to tie his shoes, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Okay, the fire... I'm not going to teach on that tonight, but a fire was kindled the moment Jesus came to earth. And it was a fire of truth versus everything else. It was a fire of holiness versus everything else. That fire has been kindled. It's burning now. And that fire is what brings about this division. You know, I've heard... I've heard such things said as, well, I don't really know if I agree with all that concerning something that gets taught. Well, then my question would be, all right, you don't agree with it. Why not? What is your foundation in Scripture that is strong enough and rock enough that confirms your disagreement? What is it? Too many people want to disagree with something because, well, they don't understand it. Or, you know, whatever, that's not how I've been taught. Or whatever, whatever. Sometimes they don't want to agree with it because it's a challenge to how they want to live. You know, don't say anything that's going to convict me because I want to feel good about me on my terms. Well, you know what? It doesn't work. It never has. Because you go all the way back to Adam and Eve. They made a decision. They wanted to feel good on their terms. So we're going to eat. And God said, I warned you guys. Now look at you. You're dead. Spiritually dead. And that is going to eventually cause the complete destruction of your physical being and you're going to die on earth. But you've already died spiritually. Well, it's been going on like that ever since. Now, he says, he talks to them, you know, you can look at the weather and you can determine, 
Well, it's going to be hot. Well, it's going to be rainy. And then he says, yeah, we can all do that. But can't you figure out, by virtue of what you see happening around you, that, now I'm talking about right now, our day and time, can't you figure out the days are short? Can't you figure it out? Now let me just sidestep for a moment. Um, if, okay, how can I say this? In our government here in the United States, what is the order of succession relative to who's in charge? All right, we have a president, we have a vice president, and if something were to happen to both the president and the vice president, who then would be elevated to be the president? Speaker of the House. Okay, now, there are Christians out there who want to see our current president removed. Get rid of him. And while you're at it, get rid of that vice president, that Jezebel. Okay? Alright. So now here's your scenario. Alright? Hear me out. There are people out there who are still saying, the election was rigged, it was rigged, and it was rigged. Okay, you know what? Let's say that it was totally, completely rigged. You may believe it, you may not believe it. For the sake of this teaching, let's say that it was totally rigged. And that Joe Biden was elected president, and Kamala, or Kamala, or whatever you want to call her, Harris, became vice president, along with him, as president, by nefarious means. And that they now are president and vice president because of election fraud. Now, a lot of people believe that. Anyway, bottom line, let's say that. Let's say it really happened. And then let's say two months from now, somebody somehow uncovers proof positive, evidence that is so irrefutable that even the most liberal of Democrats cannot say it's wrong. It is, I mean, we're talking maybe uh, audio, video recordings, all kinds of whatever, that prove, absolutely prove, it was totally rigged. And that Joe Biden knew about it, and Kamala Harris knew about it. Well, if Richard Nixon and Spiro Agnew had to resign because of a recording that was made illegally in the Democrat headquarters. What do you think would happen if that kind of evidence came out about an election fraud? So let's say that that happens. And then once that happens, it is so, it is, you, it's so undeniable that within a 24, now let's just be generous, within a 48-hour period, both Joe Biden and Kamala Harris resigned. Now, if that happened, we would have no president, we would have no vice president, who then becomes the president of the United States? Say it! Nancy Pelosi. And according to everything that I have read, the Democrats are already prepared 
in case that scenario or something similar to it takes place to where there's a need for a vice president. And apparently they have already earmarked Pete Buttigieg to be the next vice president. He is openly homosexual, married to a man. So in that scenario, you would have President Pelosi and Vice President Buttigieg. Is this what you want? And see, this is what a lot of people don't think about. This is where a lot of Christians are so, bless God, ignorant. And all they want to do is run their mouth. Now, I'm not getting on the political soapbox. What I'm trying to say is this. Think about what you're saying and what you're hoping for. Do you realize, compared to the scenario that I just gave you, our current administration is far better? Do you understand that? Some people would say, how do you figure that, Brother Martin? Because the moment you put Sodom and Gomorrah in the White House, if you, if you think there's some kind of judgment going on now, <laughs> you do not want to see what else could happen. If God could rain down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah, why could He not lift His hand of grace and announce nuclear missiles to rain down upon this nation? So you know what? To all of you who jump on some of these bandwagons, which I'm hoping none of you do, but if you do, shame on you. That's pathetic. You're not thinking you're not interceding. And those of you watching, the same thing. Consider what we're facing. Now, here's what I'm getting at. Jesus said, verse 56, can't you discern the times? You've got a lot of Christians who cannot discern the times. Otherwise, they would not be saying some of the things they are saying concerning what they'd like to see happen in our government. I want to read something to you. Talking about how crazy this world is right now. Everything I'm going to read to you, well, almost everything I'm going to read to you, has uh, come out within the last 30 days. The first two things I'm going to read to you are from Dear Abby. I enjoy reading Dear Abby because it makes me feel so smart. Listen to this. Dear Abby, I find myself depressed 90% of the time, because I'm afraid of death. Do you think LGBTQ individuals are doomed after death? Will we go to hell? I'm gay, and I worry every day about it. Please settle my nerves. Well, no, <laughs> Signed, stressed out in Georgia. Thank God this person is troubled about it every day. That means somebody has been praying for this person. But now listen to dear Abby's response. I'm glad you asked. Please stop worrying because you're making your own hell right here on earth. LGBTQ individuals are no more doomed after death than are straight people. The misguided individual who planted that idea in your head deserves that fate not you. Oh, by the way, did you know that dear Abby's Jewish? Yeah. By name only. 
I don't care how many menorahs she lights. She's a hypocrite. And she's leading people to hell with that answer. Here's another one. Talk about just strangeness. Dear Abby, <clears throat> for most of my life, I've felt uncomfortable in my own body. It seemed as though my right arm belonged to someone else. I have decided to have it amputated. And I'm trying to find the best way to tell my family. I'd appreciate any suggestions you might have. Now she goes on and talks about the psychological or the psychiatric um, definition of this problem. Anyway, it's demonic, okay? Cut to the chase. It's demonic. So you've got somebody who feels like, my arm, it belongs to somebody else. So what? There's somebody out there missing an arm, and you've got it. Or, or maybe somebody out there, you've got their arm, well, whose arm do they have? I mean, this is just nuts. And so now this person wants to find a doctor to amputate their arm. That's nuts. What's even worse is if she finds, or he finds a doctor who will do it. This is, this is what's going on in this world. Can you not discern the times? Star Wars, Star Trek, TV commercials, and even now the Disney cartoon movies feature same-sex relationships. Listen to this. On March 28th, this year, March 28th, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida signed House Bill HB 1557 called the Parental Rights in Education, which reinforces parents' <clears throat> fundamental rights to make decisions regarding the upbringing of their children. Shouldn't they always have that? The bill prohibits classroom instruction on sexual orientation or gender identity in kindergarten through third grade and prohibits instruction that is not <coughs> age-appropriate for students and requires school districts to adopt procedures for notifying parents if there is a change in services from the school regarding a child's mental, emotional, or physical health or well-being. You wouldn't need a bill like this if sane people were in charge to begin with. The question really is, how did it get to this point? Do you realize in the Old Testament, people that, are, that would have been teaching kindergarten, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 8th, 10th, 12th, 15th grade people about choosing their gender, those people would be killed. They would be executed. And now it's so bad, you have to have a governor sign a bill that takes a stand against it. The bill builds on the Parents' Bill of Rights which was signed into law in Florida last year and is part of Governor DeSantis' Year of the Parent focus on protecting parental rights in education. <laughs> I don't know if you've kept up with this, but you've got people in the media, you've got people in sports, you've got people in entertainment. I mean, just giving him the what for. 
over this. Now listen to me. Listen closely. All the people that rise up against him in this, they're going to hell. Do you hear what I'm saying? Brother Martin, you say that too much. Hey, it is what it is. If people like this would get stoned back under the law, they're going to hell. You cannot support perversions and everything be okay between you and God. It's just not going to work. So if your favorite TV star or movie star or singer or whatever comes against him on this, you've just identified who should no longer be your favorite anything. Listen to this. This came out, well, following a court decision on Monday, March 28, 2022, Oregon is no longer allowed to require that terminally ill people seeking medically assisted suicide be residents of the state. So what that means is, if you're terminally ill, you can go to Oregon and get help to kill yourself. That's not very scriptural. But that just tells you a lot about what's going on in Oregon. You see, here's the thing, guys. When stuff like this happens in one state, you need to know other states are going to follow. We've seen that pattern. Um, (laughs) This came forth March 8, 2022, from numerous sources. A Kentucky-based virtual sex education summer camp taught young attendees how to um, how to perform self-gratification, obtain an abortion, and have sex while on drugs. I waited for a Wednesday night when all the kids would be downstairs for this. The Sexy Sex Ed Camp was a virtual camp based out of Hazard, Kentucky, that took place in the summer of 2021. The organizers have been operating sex education workshops for children since 2012, according to their website. The camp first gained attention on Twitter Tuesday after the account Libs of TikTok and Manhattan Institute scholar Christopher Rufo shared information about the camp, including details about the camp curriculum which included a workshop on self-gratification in which, quote, participants learn techniques to make the most of their self-gratification experience. By the way, the phrase self-gratification is not what's in here. According to its website, Sexy Sex Ed is a workshop series that compels teenagers and people of all ages to openly discuss personal and political consent, sexual safety, and anatomy. The age ranges for the 2021 camp are not listed on the website, and it's not known that the camp will be held again in 2022. We hope not. I added that, the we hope not part. Using visual and performance art, open dialogue, and popular education methods, Sexy Sex Ed fills a vital gap in reproductive education as a creative cultural healing solution in rural Appalachia, the website says. What a bunch of garbledy gook doublespeak. From July 6th to August 26th of 2021, 
The workshop expanded to a virtual summer camp that charged attendees up to $500. Among the sessions of the camp were the three P's, pee, poop, and pleasure, sex on drugs, over-sexualization, and policing of blackness. What in the world does that mean? The lesson plan for the Sex on Drugs Day said the workshop will explore the nuances of engaging in sexual activity while using licit and illicit drugs. Together we will explore why people engage in sexual activity while on drugs, the nuances of substance use and consent, and harm reduction strategies around having sex on substances, the course plan says. This is not weird. Sexy Sex Ed was founded in 2012 by Tanya Turner. I have no problem identifying this person. Her name's all over the internet. It was founded in 2012 by Tanya Turner, who describes herself as a femme, fat, queer, magical, pleasure worker, educator, and artist, according to a biography that was on Sexy Sex Ed's website. She says she was raised by a host of witchy women in a coven-like mountain matriarchy and uses crystals, um, sex toys, and tarot in her teaching. She claims to be a witch. In a video, she explains that people of all ages should practice self-gratification and that when her nephews learned to walk, they were doing this. The, yeah, they want to teach the, the youngest, you know, as soon as they're able to understand what to do, they want to teach them how to do this. Well, what's interesting is since this all came out, this is all within the last, this month, since all this came out, apparently the people involved with this program, they're now in hiding, afraid to come out, afraid for their lives. Glory to God. That's the way it is. They need Jesus. But if they're not going to accept Jesus, they don't need to be around to keep doing this. I'm not advocating murder. Don't get me wrong. But this is, this is twisted. This is Sodom and Gomorrah stuff. You know, when, when we read the Bible about Sodom and Gomorrah, the Bible is not very detailed. It lets you know there was stuff going on, but it's not very detailed. There are, what's it called, gender reassignment procedures today. It wasn't available back then. But had it been, they would have done that. Whatever you know that's going on today, perversion-wise, it was going on back then. It's happening. And it's, it's increasing. It's being portrayed in the media like never before. And, uh, well, look over in, in Jude chapter 1. Like you have a choice on chapters there, right? You see, and I've heard this before, but there are people out there who want to tell you that the reason God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah was because there was so much violence. Well, there was so much violence. I mean, it's, it's there in Scripture. But in Jude, look at verse 7. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner 
giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. He's telling you right here. Yeah, there was violence going on, but it's being identified, they're sexual perversions. And the judgment was poured out. That's what elicited, that was a, a main factor in, in the judgment being poured out. Stuff's going on, guys. Can we not discern the times? Several years ago, and I did not, I, did, I was just reminded of this right before the service, so I didn't have time to go back and find it. But a few years ago, within the last 10 years, I think it is, um, there was a prophecy here in this church. The day was coming. The violence was going to increase in this nation to the point that the police were not going to be able to investigate all the murders. What have we been seeing here over the last two, two and a half years? Three years. The violence has escalated to the point, there's no way. And when you, when you get in all, into all of the, you know, defund the police, well, fine. Now you don't have police that can investigate murders. Okay, that prophecy and the other aspects of it, we're living in it right now. Right now. Can we not discern the times? If you look over in Ephesians chapter 1, what's happened is this. Everything we see going on, it's taken place slowly over time. Well, now it's accelerating because now there's so much stuff going on. You know, out in California, you can be, you can be in possession of um, LSD, all kinds of hard drugs, and you can't be arrested for it. It's crazy. Absolutely. You know, a lot of people, oh, whoopee, you know, marijuana, we want to, it's legalized and all that. That's stupid. And if you smoke it, you're stupider. And I'm serious. The Bible makes it very clear you should not be doing anything to alter your consciousness in any way. But you've got people that do it. <laughs> Just the other day, there it was announced that a pastor of a super mega church has resigned because of inappropriate behavior. And I read the, uh, the, I don't know if you want to call it the press release, but the ministry was saying that the reason this happened was because uh, he was on anti-anxiety medication and didn't understand what he was doing. And that another time he was, uh, he had taken some medication and that coupled with alcohol, he didn't know what he was doing. And I'm thinking, bull honk. That's just a cover-up. That's a cover-up. Number one, what on God's green earth was he doing on anti-anxiety medication? Somebody had to prescribe that to him. He should have stepped down, at least taken a sabbatical a long time ago. But now, he has uh, resigned, and they give these, what are they, politically correct explanations? No. No way. Today, just today, I found out that someone, I did not personally know this person, but I've been in services where this person was involved in ministry, was a worship leader. 
um, it was a big church, and um, was now in a position at a major uh, Christian university. He was in charge of the music, the entire music department. Just found out today that the other day he got sentenced to prison for rape. And it took place in a dorm room. Now we can all come up with why in the world in the dorm room? How do you get in the dorm room? Blah, blah. Hey, you know what? Bottom line is this. If you're a man and for some reason you walk into, for, I mean a legitimate reason, you walk into a dorm room and there is a super hot babe in there totally naked begging you to join her, you turn and you walk out. Not just the way it is. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament? Pharaoh's wife? Oh, let's take our fill of love and all this other stuff. Finally, you know, she grabs a hold of him. He takes off running. He wasn't even born again, but he understood what was right and what was wrong. And so now this, this fellow, he's sentenced to, to prison to avoid an extra long, to avoid a jury trial. He pleaded to some lesser charges. So he's going to spend 11 months and 29 days in prison. If he had gone to jury trial, he'd have probably been looking at another 20 years in prison or, or whatever. Anyway, can we not discern the times? Judgment begins at the house of God. Guess what? This stuff's been coming to light now for quite some time. Over and over again. In, in Ephesians chapter 1, look here, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, those of us in this room, as far as I know, everybody in here is born again, and hopefully filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what? We're supposed to be holy and blameless before Him in love. That's what we're supposed to be. And then if you look over in Ephesians chapter 5, you know what's interesting? In Ephesians chapter 5, in this passage, we're going to look at part of it, people want to focus so much on the husband and wife aspect of it when, yeah, you should, but it's an analogy concerning the relationship between Jesus Christ and believers. And if you look in uh, Ephesians 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Holy and without blemish. No imperfections. None. Do you remember in the Old Testament, God made it very clear that when it came to offering you know, a lamb for the sacrifice, that when the lamb was presented, the priest inspected it. And if there was any blemish in that lamb, the priest would tell that person, sorry, get that thing away from here. You're supposed to bring that perfection before the Lord. Well, look at this. We're supposed to have no spot, wrinkle, or blemish. What this means is, 
when it comes time for us to stand before God, we have to be like that spotless lamb because we've been washed in the blood of the spotless lamb. And we're supposed to be without spot and blemish. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way He wants the church to be to Him as He presents us to the Father. Look over in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And just pick it up here in verse 21. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he, Jesus, reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight if you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Do you realize when he talks about we've you know, been reconciled to him and, and uh, he's going to present us holy and unblameable and unreprovable if you continue in the faith. If you continue in the faith. That's not just a matter of continuing to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and and avoiding all these doctrines that say, well, you know, there are other ways to heaven now. No, included in this is the whole holy, unreprovable, without spot, without blemish, all of this. Because you see, when you, when you begin compromising, and you begin saying that, well, you know, some of this stuff, it's okay. And even if, you don't do it. But if you accommodate those who do, you say, well, how could I do that? Let's say you have a family member who's involved in this stuff. And you basically, we have to show the love of God, okay? But if the subject ever comes up of their lifestyle, and I'm not saying you bring it up, if it should come up, and you don't know how to address it, and I don't mean address it in a, you're going to hell, do you know? No, I'm talking about, just here's what God's Word has to say. Help me understand what you've seen in Scripture that supports what you've chosen to do. I mean, if you can't do this, because you're afraid it could cause friction in the family, then what you're doing is supporting what they're doing. Now you can't do that. Do you think what, what do you think Jesus would do? Remember the lady that was caught in adultery? And and you know, he bites in the dust and all this, and the accusers leave, and finally he looks at her and he says, Where are your accusers? And she says, Well, there are none. And Jesus said, Okay. I'll tell you what, I'm not going to condemn you, but go and sin no more. In other words, do you realize the power of that statement? He was talking to somebody that wasn't even born again. And he was saying, by the power of your own unborn again soul, you can refuse to commit adultery. How much more are those of us who are born again with the life and the nature of God on the inside? By the power of your soul, you can refuse to do drugs. By the power of your soul, you can refuse 
to consume alcohol. You can refuse to watch pornography. You can refuse the self-gratification. All this other stuff we've been... You can refuse it by the power of your soul, let alone the power of God's life on the inside of you. If you go through the Old Testament, here's what's just amazing. If you really pay attention to what you're reading in the Old Testament, when God told people to do stuff, He wasn't saying, He wasn't saying, don't murder, knowing full well that they couldn't help themselves and they were all going to murder somebody. No. He knew they could refrain from it. When he said, don't commit adultery, he knew they could refrain from it. They weren't even born again. But he knew that. So here we are, born again. The life and the nature of God on the inside of us, we have the ability to be pure, holy, spotless, without blemish, unreprovable. I mean, all of that. But see, it's totally up to us. If you look over in Luke chapter 13... Luke chapter 13. And here Luke chapter 13. Pick this up in... Oh, let's just go to... Hmm, hmm, hmm. Well, I want to try and keep this short. Um... When Jesus was talking about his return, and he says in verse 34, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather a brood under her wings, and yet you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, and verily I say unto you, you shall not see me until the time come when ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. See, what we don't want is our house to be desolate. What we don't want is to be in a position to where we have rejected what we know and essentially shut ourselves off from Him. And yet we see in Scripture over and over again how that God has given to us the opportunity, opportunity to live the way that He desires. You know, Jesus made this statement. He said, if, He said, when I come back, it's not going to be because, I'm paraphrasing, it's not going to be because I know when I'm coming back, because not even the angels don't know I don't know, only the Father knows the day and the hour. Only the Father knows the day and the hour. But guess what? The clock is ticking. And, you know, how many of you ever remember, uh, have you ever played uh, musical chairs? Where you set chairs up like in a circle and, and people go, like, like 11 chairs but 12 people. Going around, and music is playing, music is playing. And as soon as the music stops playing, everybody has to sit down. And the person who isn't able to sit down because there's no, left, no, no chair left, well, boop, they're gone. So then you take one chair away and keep doing that. Nobody knows when the music's going to stop. Nobody knows. So you keep going around and around and around and around, and you hope you're right there at a chair when the music stops. 
So you can, you know, boom, knock somebody out of the way and <laughs> sit down. Yeah, I got a chair. Well, guess what, guys? The music's playing, but it's going to stop pretty soon. The clock is ticking. And it's <coughs> winding down. There's all kinds of weird stuff going on in the world. Weird stuff. And Jesus is saying, <coughs> can you not discern the times? So what that means to us is, we have to be ready for His return. You know, in Psalm 19, verse 14, it talks about, you know, let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength, my Redeemer, my God, my Savior, my everything. Okay, it's not just a matter of what you did yesterday. It's also a matter of what's going on in you. You know how the, the whole thing of the self-gratification? You do understand there's visualization that takes place during that act. You all know what I'm talking about. That means that there's something going on between the ears that shouldn't be going on. It's an imagination that needs to be cast down. If the imagination is cast down, the stimulation won't be there. This is not complicated, guys. We have to be ready. Now what does that mean for us? What it means is we need to take stock of our lives. Now I'm not saying anybody in here is involved doing stuff you shouldn't do. But in the body of Christ? Yeah, you better believe. There's stuff going on. There are people... <laughs> you know, they're walking toward the edge of the cliff with their beliefs, the things that they do, and they're about to walk off. And yet, here the Bible continually is giving us warnings. Over and over again, I'm God, be holy, I am holy, and so forth. We can reject anything that doesn't line up with the Word of God. That's the power of God's life in us. If anything, you know how some people say, well, you know, you, you just, you think you're holier than me. Are you born again? Well, yeah, I'm born again. Well, then I'm not holier than you. I just may be living out the holiness within more than you. But born again is born again, and the nature of God in us, that's a holy nature. That's not going to change. But you don't want to soil your garment. And Revelation talks about this, about people who've soiled their garments. You don't want your name blotted out. We have to guard ourselves. And the thing is, we can. We cannot allow ourselves to compromise. This church, to my knowledge, there is no compromising doctrine delivered. Some people would say it's a little too strict and a little too harsh. I don't think so. I mean, think of it like this. Which, which would you rather have? Easy come, easy go? Or a little too strict and a little too harsh that's going to keep you in line with the will of God? Guys, each one of us, we're responsible for ourselves. We can be the example of a Christ-like life in this world to others, whether they like it or not.
We can be that example, and we need to be. That's part of this outpouring and revival. So I'm encouraging all of us. Look, we're all going to face some kind of a temptation. It's going to happen. If Jesus was tempted, okay, we're going to face it too. All right, we need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might and reject that that we could choose, which is contrary to the Word of God. You know, it's time to do inner laundry, if you will. Clean out the spots. Get rid of all the, the soiled and stained and whatever. And be that holy person of God that we were born again to be. Amen?